Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grove Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Nick and I have the honor and privilege of pastoring the Grove Church right here in Fontana, California. Here at the Grove, our vision is to see our community grow closer to Christ, be givers like Christ, and reintroduce the lost to Christ. And my prayer is that as you listen to this message, you will be encouraged, you'll grow a little in your faith, and you wouldn't just hear the word, but you would become a doer of the word. But I wouldn't just stop there. I encourage you to share this message with your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, and anyone else you can think of. And after you do that, follow us on social media and visit our website at yourgrovechurch.org to learn more about who we are as a ministry and how you can get involved and plugged in right here at The Grove. I'm excited for you to hear this message. I can't wait. So get your notes ready and let's dive all the way in together. what it says in Nehemiah chapter eight. It says, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. Can you imagine that? From daybreak till noon. So that's like early in the morning to the afternoon, he was reading this book of the law. Um, As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. Look at your neighbor and say, can you understand? And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. So it's almost like he's standing on, a, uh, standing in the pulpit or in the platform. If you think of church in a raised platform, it was made for that occasion. So he's almost like a pastor standing in front of a congregation. Beside him on his right stood all these other people. And on his left were all these other people. Uh, if we look at verse five. Here's what it says. It says, Ezra opened the book. All the people who could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. So this is typically, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but this is typically what you'll see in church is when the pastor's reading scripture, everyone is standing, but you all are sinners. So you are sinning. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, verse six, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Amen is a churchy word for they were all in agreement for what Ezra was describing. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, who are named on the scripture, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. I think this is always the goal when you are preaching or you're telling someone about scripture, that should always be our goal. No matter who our audience is, our goal should always be that what I'm sharing and what I'm explaining is clear and I'm giving the meaning so people understand exactly what is being said. Easier said than done, but that should always be the goal 
when we're preaching or we're giving someone the word. Verse nine, it says, then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people who had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Verse 10, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day, he says it again, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Look at your neighbor and say that last part. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's really our focus for today. That's really what we want to focus on throughout our message. Verse 11 and, and the, uh, the second to last of our verses, the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still one more time for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. So he tells them three times and we'll describe why the people are grieving in just a moment, but he's telling them, do not grieve three times. This day is holy. Verse 12, our final verse, then all the people who went away to eat and drink to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. And so we'll break that down as well so you understand, well, what is it that they understood? Because if you just read these verses, it's like, well, what was said? So we'll break down what was understood for the people in just a moment. Um, but again, where we're gonna focus a lot of our attention is on this idea, this last verse, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Um, today, here's what we're focusing on. If you're taking notes, this is, our, this is the title of our message today. Um, the mark of the believer. We're going to focus on the mark of the believer. That's our title for today. So let's pray for this word and we'll jump right in. Lord, we thank you for this word. Lord, I pray that you allow me to preach it and deliver it in the same way that you gave it to me, God. You know, full of life, full of encouragement, full of challenge and full of conviction, God. Lord, I pray that as we listen to this word, as we hear it, we wouldn't just hear it, but we would become doers of this word, meaning that we would live it out in our day-to-day -day lives every single day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. All right, so we're talking about the mark of the believer, and we'll talk about what that is in just a moment. Um, if you have an iPhone, all the Apple iPhone people, raise your hand. You have an iPhone? Okay, got an iPhone. All right, sorry, this is not to shame anyone for not having an iPhone, but um, if you have an iPhone, you know there's this app and Android users don't get to enjoy the benefit of this app because they have an Android and it's just always laggy. So they can't put a whole lot of stuff on their phone because otherwise it'll burst in flames. So no, I'm just kidding. Um, but if you have an Apple phone, you know there's an app, there's a news app, right? And so on that news app, essentially what it is, uh, it's kind of cool. Everyone who's like younger than 30 years old probably doesn't understand this, what I'm about to say, but essentially this app allows you to read different newspapers. And the reason why I say they don't understand is because they've probably never seen a newspaper in their life. But it allows you to read from different news articles, newspapers, which is really cool. It puts everything all in one. So you can read the Washington Post. You can read People, which is not necessarily a newspaper, but it's an article. You can read uh, CNN News. You can read all these different news in this one area, all these different outlets in one area. Uh, allow, the app really allows you to subscribe to these different outlets and you can read these things. One of the things about this app is that uh, it sends you these notifications like in the morning. 
Like for instance, if you're on the app regularly, it'll send you like this notification each morning um, that basically tells you about the news that are going on in the day. So People Magazine might send you a little notification saying Kate Middleton and Prince William were spotted at a club last night. So really like gossipy kind of stuff. Or you might see the Washington Post will tell you about something going on in Ukraine. Like really helpful information for you to know, but essentially they're pushing this information to you. So this app, these notifications, they push it to you. One of the things that I can't help but realize is that each day it'll send you this notification and it'll send you a summary of the top five news stories. And the reason why this is important is because what often happens is that those top five news stories, even if you watch the news, you know, the first thing that you think about is everything is bad. Like everything that's going on, everything they post about, everything they report about is bad. It's like something crazy is going on. With this app, it shares all the world news. So all the bad things that are going on in the world. And one of the things that they'll do is they'll put all these stories into one notification and at the end of that, they'll say, start your day here. So all these terrible things, and essentially what they're trying to get you to do is start, start your day by reading about all these terrible things. Now, that's not necessarily why they do it that way, but because of just how the world is, all these terrible things are happening. And so they are kind of encouraging you to start your day with gloom and terrible bad news about how life is ending as we know it. Um, but it pushes this to you and it says, start your day here. Seeing this got me thinking about like, you know, in spite of all the things happening around us, in spite of all the news cycle and everything being pushed to us that's negative, in spite of all those things, how do we maintain peace and happiness? Right? Because you have so much stuff that's pushed to you. Not all the good stuff is necessarily pushed to you. You don't hear about people digging new fountains in Africa. You don't hear about, you know, poverty changes. You don't hear about all the good things that are going on in the world. It doesn't mean there's a lack of good things. It just means that what we are typically accustomed to is all of the negative things happening. And so in the same way that that CNN News or Apple News will tell you, start your day here with all these negative things, got me thinking, how can we start or how can we focus on peace and happiness in life? I was thinking about this very thought this morning because um, today is like a, a, an anniversary. It's like a two-year anniversary of the passing of my father. And so automatically today symbolizes or it feels very much like a very gloomy day. Like the weather today very much fits the narrative of the day. Like it's just, it's just gloomy. There's no sunshine. It, it feels like a rough day. Like, you know, you kind of just want to stay in and be depressed, if you will. That's just the kind of feeling that you get. So I started thinking about this this morning of like, man, how, how can we use this day as still like a day of giving hope while while, you know, I, I never want to forget the date and, and the events leading up to the day. Uh, like, how can we still use this day to really think about peace and happiness and not the sadness or frustration or the tears that comes with this day? And so as I was thinking about that, I, I kind of do what I hope everyone does. And I just kind of like, all right, Lord, what is what is the answer here? Right. Like when you're dealing with something difficult, 
I know it sounds very basic and elementary, but when you're dealing with something difficult and challenging, and we talked a lot about this last week, start your day by just asking like, God, what do you, what do you want for me today? What do you want for me to do today? So then in this moment, I'm like, all right, Lord, what do you, how do you want me to get through this day? What do you want me to think about? What do you want me to focus on? And so I stumbled over this quote from Mark Batterson that, um, that was kind of like a light bulb moment for me this morning. And here's what he says. He says, if you seek answers, you won't find them. But if you seek God, the answers will find you. I'll read that again. If you seek answers, you won't find them. But if you seek God, the answers will find you. And so essentially what he's describing is that no matter how challenging or how difficult life can be, if you're trying to find the answer to happiness and joy and peace in your life, and you're not looking in the place where God can be found, are you really going to find those things that you're looking for? If you seek God, right, we talked about this last week, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you, right? And so how can I make sure that is my focus and in doing so, find the answers to the things that I'm looking for, such as how do we focus on peace? How do we focus on happiness? And so in this moment of praying and just kind of like, all right, God, what do you, what do you want today to look like? Nehemiah 8.10 really came to mind. And again, I'll say it again, but it's the joy of the Lord is my strength. And what is also interesting is that um, I had been thinking about doing a series on the fruits of the Spirit, and so when you think about the fruits of the Spirit, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, here's what he says about the fruits of the Spirit. If you don't know, this is a good thing to write down right now, but the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so Paul is basically telling us that, listen, if you have true, genuine Holy Spirit on the inside of you, if you are truly a believer, these are all the things that should follow you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, does this mean like, okay, the day that you flip out of control, does this mean like, all right, you, you, you're not saved? No, but it does mean that you ought to be thinking about, man, I lost it today. I missed out on it. So how, how do I need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit, right? We talked about this last week, that the filling of the Holy Spirit is an active thing. It's not just a one time, all right, I'm filled. I'm eight years old, so everything is good for the rest of my life, right? That's not how it works. The filling of the Holy Spirit, even as scripture describes it, is an ongoing thing. There needs to be a refilling. So the moment that I lose my cool and I, and I flip out on someone, in that moment, it's, it's a sign to me, not that I'm terrible, not that I should be condemned to hell, but that I need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. I need to have a moment where I'm like, all right, Holy Spirit, come in, fix, fix all this, fill, fill me up again. Like I, I need to be filled again so I can stop pouring out this hate towards people. But essentially, Paul is describing all these different things that are indications that, you know, I have the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. But if you notice that one of the things that we read in our scripture, again, I'll say it again, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Paul cites joy as being a fruit of the Spirit. And so if I'm looking for joy, if I'm looking for peace, if I'm looking for happiness, what I really need to be focused on is what does my insides look like? What does my spirit look like? What is truly on the inside of me? Because really joy, and we'll talk about this in a moment, I'll say this again, but 
joy really is is not based on external circumstances. It is not that you give me joy. It is not that you provide joy for me. Joy is not an external thing because joy, in spite of the external things that are going on, joy is from God. And so it is, it is something that happens on the inside of me, not something that happens based on my external circumstances. And I know like you, you probably think like, oh, this person brings me joy. Right. This person, this new person that I'm dating. Oh, they just bring me so much joy. This this opportunity or this this food. Some people, how many food lovers do we have? Right. So some of us can admit that when we're eating that favorite thing, oh, this just brings me so much joy. Right. And you might do a little happy dance and like, yes, this is just joy. But true joy and the essence of joy, that is really what we want to talk about today. So as I'm thinking about even this day, and you might, maybe, maybe this day is not the same for you. Maybe there's other days in your life. Maybe, maybe for you, it's like Sunday evening right before work on Monday. Like, ah, uh, like I'm dreading, like this is, this is my gloom. Maybe it's, maybe it's another anniversary of a, a traumatic or tragic experience. Maybe it's something else for you. Maybe it's a person that triggers some some sort of absence of joy and peace, whatever it is, whatever your it is, I think try to repurpose that it or that day or that moment. Think about how can I repurpose it into something good and not use that anniversary to relive the trauma or relive the negative things that have happened in life. We all have these different anniversaries that come up where it's like, oh, that was the day where X happened. Or that was the day that my life changed. Or that was the day that I was attacked or I was abused. Or I, I'll never forget that day for some negative reason. The purpose of today is really to talk about how do we repurpose those moments and those days into something good. And so as I'm thinking about this for myself and preaching to myself, I recognize that God is trying to get my attention and trying to teach me something about joy. Right. I start with thinking of Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And then Paul is like coming to mind about the fruits of the spirit and in the fruits of the spirit is joy. So I'm trying to make this connection that God is trying to get my attention about joy or what it means to really have joy. And so you can ask this question and, and maybe as you're just as I'm describing that joy is not an external thing. You're asking, well, what is joy? What does it mean to have? What does it mean the joy of the Lord is our strength? Why is joy one of the fruits of the spirit? What does this all mean? Why is this important for us to know? And I'm glad you asked because I want us to use our time to focus on that today. So let's start there. What does Nehemiah mean when he says the joy of the Lord is our strength? A little bit, let's go back. Let's go back to our text for just a moment because there's a lot happening in Nehemiah chapter eight, a lot that's happening that maybe you don't recognize or realize on the surface. And so what is happening in this moment is Ezra is up before the people, the children of Israel, after they've come out of exile there, Ezra is up in front of the people and he's basically preaching and he's basically speaking from the law. Now, one of the things that stands out in the text that we talked about is the fact that when you're preaching or when you're sharing, it should be shared with clarity and make sense so that people can gather some understanding from it. Right. I don't want to be up here using all these huge biblical words and it go over everyone's head because you didn't go to school for for 10 years for theology. You know what I mean? Like, I want to explain it in such a way that you walk away and you feel like, oh, I got that. Like, 
whatever notes I've taken, I can read during the moments that I'm having something challenging going on and it still makes sense to me. So this is essentially what Ezra is trying to do for the children of Israel in this moment. He is speaking from the law, but not in such a way that makes the individuals feel like some sort of condemnation. He's not speaking it to them in the way that maybe the Pharisees would, which is basically pointing the finger at them. What Ezra is doing in this moment is he's speaking in such a way that the people are able to walk away with conviction. Right. So not condemnation, because condemnation and and conviction are two different things. Right. Condemnation is telling someone, oh, come come this way. Come towards me. Come towards me. And as they're walking towards you, you're throwing rocks at them. That's condemnation. Like, yeah, come towards Jesus because you are terrible and you are an awful person and you'll never amount to anything. But come come to Jesus. And that's not that's not what we're trying to do. Conviction says come this way. And instead of using my hands to throw rocks at people, I'm using them to embrace the people that I'm telling to come for. That is what conviction is. So essentially, this is what Ezra is doing for the people. Now, all before that, right, as he's as he's reading the law, the people are really showing reverence by standing. So so they're listening. They're paying attention. They're showing reverence for the word that's being spoken. And then when Ezra talks about being blessed or Ezra praise the Lord, the great God, he's he's identifying that God is the source of all blessing. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to set the people up to understand like the reason why we're blessed and the reason we are all here and where all this comes from is from God. Right. Because they've just come out of exile. So Ezra is trying to create this correlation that you are able to make it out of your trouble and your circumstance because of God. There's no other way. So he's, he's having this moment with them. The people falling on their faces to the ground is a show of their willing submission. And why is this all important? It's because it's showing us as this spiritual Israel the importance of obtaining joy. Right. If I'm really going to obtain joy, one of the things that I have to do is I have to show reverence for God's word. I have to show reverence for God himself. If I'm going to obtain true joy, I have to really be in submission to God. That, that's the whole point of what why this is being shared with us. If I'm going to really experience joy and, and we get to this point where as we're uh, as we're talks about the joy of the Lord is our strength. If I'm really going to get to that point, all these other things have to happen first. I have to be in submission to God, to his word, to his will, if we're really going to experience joy. So why does, why does Ezra tell the people, listen, the joy of the Lord is your strength? Because they are grieving. And why are they grieving? And why does Ezra keep telling them, do not grieve? They're grieving because they're realizing that for the first time, they are able to understand the word of God. And with that understanding, they are realizing, oh, shoot, like we've been messing up this whole time. Like they're having a moment of conviction. So they are weeping because Ezra creates this feeling for them where he's bringing up the fact that, man, all your blessings are from God. And so think about this moment of like, okay, everything, oh man, God is, God is so good. Like everything that's happening, God is so awesome and he's so incredible. And then Ezra starts continuing to read the law and the people are realizing like, whoa, God has been so good to me. I've been a mess. And so now they're grieving because they're like, man, what have we done? 
Like we've been a mess this whole time. And so, but Ezra and Nehemiah, is, they're telling them, don't, don't grieve. Don't, don't feel sad. And that's the same encouragement I'd give to you. When you realize that you made a mistake, don't grieve or don't be sad. Don't call yourself a failure. Don't make it seem like this is the end of the world. No, what you need to do is go back to the root. And that is submission to God, reverence to God, worshiping God, which is what he describes the people doing. Go back to those things when you've recognized that you've made a mistake. But the point that, that remains that Nehemiah is trying to get across is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so in this moment, he's pointing out like, listen, today is not the day to weep or to grieve because what was actually happening is they were going, there was a feast that was happening. And so he's trying to tell them like, no, this, this is not the day for grieving. This is not the day for all of this because the feast that was occurring is typically a feast that was used to celebrate and to dance and to be thankful for God. And so he's trying to tell them like, listen, I understand that because you understand the word of God, now you're convicted and you're feeling that conviction. But at the end of the day, remember what today is for. The day is holy and we get to celebrate our God and you get to join in that. No matter how messed up you've, you've been, no matter how many mistakes you've made, today is holy. And so we get to enjoy God today. We get to celebrate, we get to dance, we get to sing, we get to do all of that. So that is where that term, the joy, or that phrase, the joy of the Lord is our strength, stems from. He's trying to encourage them that, man, I know you realize that you've messed up, but today is a day for celebrating. So let's celebrate our God. Let's, let's, let's not grieve. This day is holy. Let's enjoy it. And it's the same thing I would tell you. No matter where you find yourself, every single day that you wake up in is holy to God. It's holy. And so in that, that should be your strength, is the joy, the joy of the Lord should be your strength. Recognizing that today is holy and every day that you wake up is an opportunity to give thanks to God. That is where the joy of the Lord comes from. It is in your submission to giving thanks and praise to God. The joy of the Lord is the joy that springs up in our hearts. And it's, again, it's not an external thing. It's an inside job. It springs up from our heart because of our relationship with God. That is where true joy comes from. It doesn't come from what people give you. It doesn't come from what people provide to you. It doesn't come from what you might think your hands have provided. No, it comes from your relationship with the Lord. That is where true joy comes from. It is God-given gladness. So if anyone ever asks you, what does the term joy means? It's God-given gladness. It is really an internal thing. It's found when we are in communion with God. That is the reality of where joy comes from. When our goal is to know more about the Lord, then the byproduct of that is joy. When your goal is to really sit and be in relationship with God, that is, real, that is where true, real joy comes from. So if you ever are down or you're finding yourself in a really dark or low place, think about what does my relationship with God look like? Like that is, I know that's very simple, but I'm telling you, if you focus on your relationship with God, 
all these other things will come towards you. All these things that, that will benefit you in that situation or in that moment, that's when all of that stuff comes, when you are focused on your relationship with God and really intentional about, man, I, I want to seek you. I want to know you more. I want to get closer to you. I want to have more communion with you. And communion, again, just another churchy word, but really two words in one. Communion is, in its essence, common union. So I want to have common union with you. And so what does that look like? Well, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus is your son. There is some commonality right there. And so finding that common union and settling down on that common union of Jesus and my relationship with him creates this communion with God that from that springs joy. I'm telling you, if you've ever felt depressed or if you've ever felt like nobody cares or nobody understands me, focus on your relationship with God because he does. In the moments where you feel like you're at your lowest, when you focus on God, it changes everything. Joy of the Lord is my strength. So that's where joy comes from. So the strength part of that, that Nehemiah and Ezra are talking about, strength really means place of safety and refuge right? Place of safety and refuge. So if joy comes from my relationship with God, then really my relationship with God, not only does it spring up joy, but it brings a place of refuge. It brings a place of safety or protection. So when I am connected to God, all of those things follow protection, refuge, safety. If you're thinking about the anniversary or the thing, again, that we described earlier, the thing for you that where that date comes up, you start to think about how terrible life got for you at that moment. If you are focused on your relationship in that moment, God promises to bring safety and protection and a place of refuge for you so that when you go into that place or when you get to that place where, man, this is, this is the day, like this was that moment where everything in my life changed. This is that moment where I made some bad decisions. And from that bad decision, everything got flipped and turned upside down. Like in, in those moments when you start focusing on your relationship with God, there is safety that comes from that. So as Nehemiah is describing, the people's refuge was God. They had built the wall and they had carried spears and swords, but he was their true protection. And so he's trying to remind the people of that in the moment. Like, listen, the joy of the Lord is your true protection. Like being with God and the fact that joy springs up from that, that is your true protection. So on the question of why is joy important? This is the first thing that we have to understand. The joy, uh, the joy, joy is the mark of the believer. So if you, if you want to... Uh, like there's, there's certain things that identify who you belong to, right? Like a team has a mascot or a jersey color. And, and that lets them know like, oh, okay, I play for this team. Like that is the mark of someone who belongs to that team. A job might have a uniform. Okay, you work here. Or a job might have badges or a school might, you know, whoever works at a school, they might require badges. Okay, so that signifies that you work here, that you belong here. The joy that you experience, joy is the mark of a true believer. And so when you have joy and you can exhibit and display joy in spite of your circumstances, it shows that you are a believer. 
It shows that you are counted as one. It shows that you actually have a relationship with God when you display joy. So let's talk about this a little bit, right? Um, uh, joy is the mark of the believer. Simply put, joy is that mark. When you look up the definition of joy in the dictionary, one of the things that it describes is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. But there's an author, his name is Creeth Davis, and he says it this way from a biblical perspective. Here's what he says. He says, joy is, and I'll just, I'll just put this up now um, just so you have it. Uh, but he, here's what he says. He says, joy is a light in life that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. I mean, get that for a second. Joy is a light in life that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. That means it doesn't matter what great pain I've experienced. When I am marked as a believer in Jesus Christ, joy will outlast and outshine any pain that I go through. Joy will outlast and outshine any outwardly pleasure that I could experience. There is nothing that compares in life to joy. And why? Let's not forget the importance of joy. Joy springs up from your relationship with God. There is nothing in life that can, that can surpass your relationship with God. There's nothing. And if you don't have one, you are missing out. Look at your neighbor and say, you're missing out. If you don't have a relationship with God, you will never experience still being happy in the midst of great pain, in the midst of great obstacles, in the midst of great circumstances. Without a relationship with God, your pain will feel 10 times harder. Your pain and struggle and, and strife, all of that is magnified when you don't have God. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord, my relationship with God, joy is my strength, safe place, protection. Without my relationship with God, I'm missing protection, right? And so joy runs deeper than pain or pleasure. The, the author continues, he says, it is not limited by nor tied solely to external circumstances, it's not about what people can do for me. It's not about what people can provide for me. No, it's about what's on the inside of my heart, right? Like, it's like I can't, I can't touch God right now. Like, God is not going to come sit next to me in the movie theater. God is not going to ride in my passenger seat. I mean, spiritually, sure. But he's, he's not like physically, I can't touch him in the moment. So it's all about what's happening on the inside of me. It's not about what someone gives me. It's not about what someone does. It's not about how someone treats me. Because if we look at that first point, it runs deeper than any of those things. So even if it's someone treats me great and I'm, I'm head over heels for someone or I've, I'm on cloud nine, joy surpasses even that. Even if someone does me dirty and treats me like a mess and, and kicks me to the curb, pain, joy outlasts even that. So it's not about what's happening externally to me. It's about what's happening on the inside of me. Creeth uh, uh, Davis, he continues, he says, joy is a gift of God. What is something else that's described as a gift to us? Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit, right? Like all these things, it, it all comes back to my relationship with God. Joy is a gift of God. In this quote, he continues, he says, and like all of his other inner gifts, 
it can be experienced even in the midst of extremely difficult circumstances. At the end of the day, if we're talking about joy being the mark of the believer, joy is really the quality of your life. Joy is the quality of life. It's not simply a feeling. Joy is not a, a, a fleeting emotion. It's not a feeling. It is grounded. Catch this. It is grounded in God himself and it flows from him. That's how much joy is tied to God. So in the midst of your most challenging days and times in life, the in, what seems like insurmountable pain, as a mark of believers, I should still be demonstrating joy. Why? Because it comes from God. Just because you experience pain does not mean God is absent. Just because you experience challenges does not mean that God does not care. On the contrary, God is sitting right there with you because James tells us that some of these things that we experience are meant for us. We're destined for these things to build us up and to make us better. So just because the presence of pain exists does not mean the absence of God. Joy is a quality of life that is grounded in God himself. In both uh, the Old Testament and New Testament, joy is presented as this constant mark of both individual believers, but also as, as a mark of the church as well, as the mark of a believing community. And so there's a couple of scriptures that come to mind when it comes to this. Psalm 16, verse 11, here's what it says. It says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So in your presence is the fullness of joy. Not only is joy present because of God, but it's in its fullness. All the qualities of joy are found in his presence. And then another scripture that comes to mind is Romans chapter 15, verse 13, that says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy is a quality of life. All these things, joy runs deeper than pleasure or pain. Joy is not limited by your or tied to your external circumstances. Joy is a gift of God. Joy is a quality of life. I hope you write these things down so that in the moments that you uh, are feeling down, these are kind of like some affirmations, some faith affirmations. So when you have feelings that are contrary to joy, you can read these things off. Okay, uh, okay, Nicholas, joy runs deeper than pain or pleasure. It's a reminder that God is still present. Joy is not limited by nor tied solely to my external circumstances. Okay, it doesn't matter what anyone does. I am not going to lose my joy because God is with me. Okay, joy is a gift from God. How dare I respect a gift from, how dare I disrespect a gift from God. So I need to be thoughtful about how am I exhibiting joy? That means even when I don't feel it, how am I giving it? How am I feeling it and giving it to others, right? I should be a carrier of joy if I'm a carrier of Jesus Christ. So I got to remind myself, okay, Nicholas, joy is a gift of God. Okay, Nicholas, joy is a quality of life. It's a quality of life. That means that I am not truly living unless I'm expressing or experiencing joy. And when I have God in my corner, that is living. Here's a quote before we jump to the next point I want to communicate. Uh, but C.S. Lewis said it uh, this way. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven. 
Joy is the serious business of heaven. Listen to me. I don't want us to live life with the idea in mind that I just need to make it to heaven. That is not the goal. Look at your neighbor and say, that is not the goal. And I know that sounds crazy, but joy or, but dying just to get to heaven is not the goal. The goal is to get to Jesus, right? That is the goal. So the only serious business in heaven is getting to Jesus. So if we're going to relate this to Jesus again, it's very simple. Joy is the serious business of heaven. What is more serious than a bunch of believers finally being told, well done, my good and faithful servant, and being able to sit at the feet of Jesus? That is serious business. Look at your neighbor and say, that's serious business. All right, the next thing for us to understand when it comes to joy is that joy cannot be manufactured cannot be manufactured apart from God. Cannot be. There's there's no joy without God. Joy is not this isolated or occasional consequence of faith. It is not occasional. It is not just here oh oh today you feel really great. There's joy. Joy is present, right? It's not like uh that movie Inside Out. Remember that movie Inside Out? I'm pretty sure and I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty sure there's a character of by joy, right? But it, it is not that moment where someone comes over and is like, all right, let me move this ball in so that now you start thinking of all the terrible things and joy is not present. No, joy is always present when God is present. It is not manufactured apart from God. It is not isolated or occasional, but it's an integral part of our whole relation to God. Integral, which means it, it doesn't exist apart from God. If you have no relationship with God, you do not have true joy. I'm sorry, the food, I know it's good, but that is not true joy. I'm sorry, the, the, the fun times that you have at different events and experiences that you've had in your life, that is not true joy. Joy does not exist apart from God. The fullness of joy comes when there is a deep sense of the presence of God in our lives. That is where the fullness of joy exists, right there in the presence of God. And the interesting thing about joy, and one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that if if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, then I should have this awareness and this desire that flows from me to share what I'm experiencing with others. So joy is not just about what I'm experiencing, it's not just about me, but it's about what am I giving to others, right? I think about this when, uh, when I think about uh, words like evangelizing or you know, sharing the gospel or the great commission. Like, I don't know what it was about you know, uh, the church a few years ago, but it always seemed like it was so boring or such a task. Like I equated evangelism with like, oh, we got to spend all day going to people's doors and telling people about Jesus and Jehovah Witnesses. It's like, you, it doesn't have this appeal to it that it really should. Like here we are telling people about Jesus, but on the outside, our face doesn't look like we spent a minute with Jesus. There's this quote, and I won't get it right, but it, but it said like, if you truly have a relationship with God, then your facial expressions should show it. If you don't, then your normal facial expression will do. 
So that normal face that you got when you wake up in the morning, if that's if you don't have God in your life, then that facial expression will do. But any person that has a relationship with God, their face should show the excitement and the joy and the experience of loving Jesus. And let me tell you, I am preaching to myself because sometimes coming up on Sundays are hard. Sometimes it feels like a chore. Sometimes it feels like a task. And I know my outward appearance doesn't reflect what God, I mean, what he really is doing in my heart. Sometimes it doesn't look like it on the outside, but I, I do love Jesus. Sometimes I need to remind my face of, of the words that I've spoken about God. Sometimes I need to remind my face of, you know, what his word says. Sometimes I need to remind my expressions of what God has done for me. Because while I do feel it on the inside, it doesn't always communicate on the outside. And so I'm preaching to myself. And the reality is that joy should be experienced not just by me, but everybody, but by everyone who comes in contact with me. Because this idea of joy being tied to my relationship with God, if you have a true relationship with God, it's too good not to share with other people. Right? Look at your neighbor and say, it's too good not to share. You know, like when you ever taste something for the first time and you're like, oh, my goodness. This is incredible. Let me tell you, we went to, uh, Nicole and I went to Las Vegas um, to preach the gospel we were, we were on, the, on the strip to preach the gospel. And um, <laughs> we went to this restaurant. Uh, it's called, uh, I think it's, it's not, uh, International Smoke. So Aisha Curry's restaurant. And she had this cornbread with this like sauce on the top. And let me tell you, I debated. We were there for like a few days. I debated every day that we were there should I just, should we just go back there? Should we get more cornbread? Like, should we just, because it was so good that it was like, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta have more of this. And I was trying to tell, like, you gotta, you gotta have this. When you taste something good for the first time and you want to communicate that to someone, it's like, you are, you are excited. You're like, you gotta try this. You gotta have some of this, right? Like, think about that experience. Think about when you, when you learned about something, whether you watched a movie or you heard a song or you tasted food and you're like, man, this is so good. And you wanted to go tell everybody that should be our same experience when it comes to our relationship with God. The same experience. Man, this is too good not to share. You got to come find you got to you got to come learn about Jesus. You got to you got to have your own relationship like you got to get in on this. You got to have some of this. And when that is the case in our life, then all those other experiences that make life really challenging don't even matter. And I don't want to downplay anyone's bad experiences or emotions when it comes to those experiences. But man, let me tell you, if God is truly a part of your life, then you know that even those things can't keep you down. Even those things can't can't dictate your life and how things are going to play out for you because you know that God is in control and with God comes joy in our lives. Joy is, um, joy is it, it, in, in the New Testament, there's a couple of words that are used to describe joy and one is like chara and the other is like uh, charo, uh, one meaning joy and the other one to mean rejoice. 
And so in communicating that with the, throughout the New Testament, what it really is demonstrating is, is how much joy is connected to our salvation, right? Like if I have a relationship with God, then I'm, I'm, hope, I, I'm, hope, I, I'm hope I'm saved and I've, I've asked for salvation and I've prayed that prayer and I've, I've developed, that's, that's only where a true relationship can thrive. And so it's showing that joy in the way that the words joy and rejoice are used without the New Testament in their original form, it's showing how much they are connected to salvation. And so the point is that what God has made available to all of us in salvation, the fact that he's tore the veil so we don't have to go through, you know, some priest in a box to confess our sins, but we can go directly to God because of what God has made available to us, because of that redemptive grace, we can rejoice. And so everything ab about us, our entire being should reflect the fact that, that we are saved. We have the ability to be saved. Right? We don't have to go to someone to experience God. We can experience God right where we're at. And then again, Paul, when he describes joy as being part of the fruits of the Spirit, he's, he's describing this as a vital part of the Spirit being present on the inside of us. Here's, here's one thing that, that, that I, I, I don't want to um, miss or skip over, but I want to drive this point home because, again, going back to what I was sharing to start the message about uh, Apple News and start your day here with all this junk and all this mess. The one thing that I want us to make sure we understand and we walk away with is the fact that joy can be experienced in our deepest pains. Joy can be experienced in suffering or in weakness when suffering is, is, is uh, because oftentimes that suffering and that pain when we look at it from the perspective of, you know, man, God is, God is with me in spite of all these things. When we look at it from that perspective, there's something that we can get out of that pain. There's something that we can get out of that struggle. There's something that we can get out of our weakness. And Paul describes that purpose perfect, perfectly, right? Throughout scripture, he describes when I am weak, that is when he is strong. Right. So joy can be experienced in the midst of our pain and our struggles and our heartache and our weakness, because when we are weak, God is strong. His his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so in spite of all these things, this is why joy can exist in those moments, because we know that in the midst of all of that, God is God is God is at his best. When I'm at my worst, God is at his absolute best. So none of this pain, none of this hurt, none of these poor experiences can get me down or replace joy. Joy can be experienced and celebrated in all of those different forms. All right, the last thing that we'll communicate today, the last thing as far as joy, joy comes through love and obedience. If joy is tied to salvation, if joy is tied to our relationship with God, then really what comes out of that is our love and our obedience for God. If we truly love and we truly uh, are obedient to God, then we're gonna keep his word, right? We're gonna do the things that scripture tells us. Joy comes through love and obedience. Jesus made it clear that joy is inseparably connected to love and to obedience. Look at John chapter 15, verse nine through 14. I'll read it for us. John chapter 15, verse nine through 14, it says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, 
you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. What is he saying? Like, if you love me, keep my commands. And if you keep my commands out of love for me, then joy will be made complete in you. If you are struggling with joy, if you are struggling with keeping yourself upbeat in the midst of all the challenges, I want you to really think about where am I missing God's commands? Where am I missing doing what God has called me to do? Because when I am, when in, in the absence of obedience, that is where we start to see joy not taking its full shape in our lives, in the absence of our obedience. Because when we are not obedient to God, it shows a lack or breaking the chain of our relationship with God. And so I really challenge you that if you are experiencing occasional joy, again, joy shouldn't be occasional. If you are experiencing occasional joy, really think long and hard about where am I not being obedient to God's word? Where am I missing? What am I missing in my relationship with God? What am I not doing? If you've ever thought like, man, why do these feelings still come? Why do I still think these thoughts? Why do I still have these feelings? Think about your relationship to God. John, John chapter 15 continues in verse 12. It says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. So if there is no love and there's no obedience to Jesus, joy is not present. There has to be, those things have to exist. Joy is experienced through those things. I love God. I want a relationship with God. I, I want to be in his presence. I want him to be around every single day. I want to, I don't want to experience anything without Jesus. I don't want to go anywhere without God. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to the grocery store. Nowhere. I don't want to go anywhere without God being present. I love that Moses describes this in scripture when God is trying to send him out somewhere. And he says, like, listen, if your presence doesn't go before me, if your presence is not there, I, I don't want to go anywhere near that. And so I want to have the same heart. God, if, if your presence is not in this place, if you are not here, if you are not going that way, if you have not called me to that place, if I am doing this because I want to and not because you've called me to, I don't want to do it for a second. No matter how good it feels to me, no matter how much uh, it means to me, if your presence is not there, I don't want to go. And how do we tie that to our message today? If God's presence is not there, if he's not in the, the equation, we can't truly enjoy those experiences because joy will not be present. So the things that you're feeling when you are doing things without God's consent or outside of God's will, those things that you are feeling that, that are characterized or, or seem like they're clothed in joy is not really joy. It's fleeting emotions that will change. So if we're going to experience true joy, it's through love and obedience. Obedience to his word, obedience to what he's telling us, obedience to actually living out his will for our life, all of the above. It is, it is truly experienced through love and obedience. 
All right, I'm going to share this quote and then we'll end our message here. But it says this. It says, from a psychological perspective, one cannot experience joy while being preoccupied with one's own security, pleasure, or self-interest. Freedom from inhibitions comes when one is caught up in something great enough to give meaning and purpose to all of life and to every relationship. God alone is the only adequate center for human existence, and he alone can enable us to experience life with joyous spontaneity and to relate to others with love. So the joy of the Lord is our strength. Our relationship with God is our safety, is our refuge, is our protection. And so when I'm experiencing a day like today where I want to let the emotions from a loss overwhelm me, when I want to let the, the, the news that I see every day overwhelm my emotions, when I, when I feel like uh, an encounter or an interaction with someone that didn't go well is gonna get the best of me today, I have to remember that I have a relationship with God and in that is safety and protection. And when I experience true joy or true relationship with God, there is true joy that comes from that. And that is what I wanna focus on, not on the external things that are happening in life. Every head bowed and every eye closed in this room. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope it blessed you and pray that whatever you take away today gets sown deep into your heart and you apply it to your day-to-day -day life. If it was as good to you as it was good to me, please share this message with someone and let's continue to grow together. Part of our vision here at The Grove is to be givers like Christ. If you were blessed by today's message and you wanna partner with us in your giving, all you have to do is text GIVE to 844-831-4106 or visit yourgrowthchurch.org slash give. If you're looking for a community to be a part of, we would love for you to call The Grove Church home. And to get connected to us, you can simply text GO to 844-813-5747 or shoot us a DM on one of our social media platforms. I pray blessings over you wherever you are and wherever you go and can't wait for you to join us next time. Peace.